Join me on my journey as I explore wealth in all areas of life. I'm your host, Mindy Kinnis, and this is The Lucrative Society. Well, hello, hello. It is December 6th, which happens to be the first Sunday of the month. So you know what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about books. (laughs) One of my favorite all-time topics. I read a bunch last month, so I'm just going to go through them briefly. And there may be something that you're interested in reading, or you may learn to avoid certain books and not waste your time. All good either way. The first book I read last month was called Dying to Be Me, My Journey from Cancer to Near Death to True Healing. This is by Anita Morjani. She is an Indian woman, author, professional speaker, and her story is pretty extraordinary. She goes throughout her young life, the daughter of fairly traditional Indian parents, And she herself feels very much bound in by that tradition and that culture. She wants to explore the world and do all of these things and maybe not necessarily have an arranged marriage. And that went against all of the things that they wanted for her or that her community and culture wanted for her. She walks us through the whole of her life and she ends up developing cancer. Now, this is so extreme that she talks about having tumors the size of lemons on her neck. Lemons! So her body goes through this experience toward the end. Well, not the end, but toward what she thought would be the end, what her family thought would be the end. She goes into a coma. Her organs are all shutting down, and she has what is called a near-death experience. And I would say this is the best part of the book. It's really, really interesting what she experiences. I'll give you one example. When she was lying in the hospital, on the hospital bed, she was able to hear things from conversations where people were not in the room. Maybe her husband was talking to the doctor down the hall, and she was able to hear what they were saying. And she felt great in that moment, or or I should say lack of moments. She talks about being outside of space and time, and she feels so wonderful, and she recognizes that that love is truly what we are here to do and to be and to experience. So through a whole course of events, she decides, now you may be thinking, Mindy, this is too far out. I don't even believe any of this. That's fine. I don't really care. But <laughs> it is an interesting story because we just don't know. So what she does is she decides to come back, you know, to her living body and then has spontaneous remission of her cancer so much so quickly that the medical community does not believe that she can possibly be cancer-free from the state where she was to the state where she was then after that near-death experience. They kept doing test after test after test, and some of the techs would say, you know, I'm sorry, but I just don't find any evidence of cancer in these lymph nodes or whatever it was that they were testing. And the higher-ups would say, well, keep looking. It has to be there. (laughs) Till she finally says, no, it doesn't. I'm done with these tests, and I'm out. So then she has this whole kind of second-life story where she ends up connecting with Wayne Dyer 
He helps her get a book published with Hay House that, of course, launches a massive career, speaking all over the world, inspiring people, and, you know, like, so awesome, great, great story. I only gave this book three stars because while it was fascinating in parts, I felt like it was very much overtold. I didn't need to know every single little detail about the whole of her life experience I feel like it may resonate more with people who come from that culture. So everything she says, they'll be like, yep, I get it. (laughs) Yep, that's me. For me, it was a little much, which, you know, doesn't take anything away from, from the power of what she experienced. I still think that was awesome. But total three stars to Dying to Be Me by Anita Morjani. The next book I read is called Glass Houses, and I've talked about this series before. It is the Inspector Armand Gamache series by Louise Penny. This is book number 13 in that series. And for the most part, there were some that weren't as good as others, but for the most part, I really enjoy these books. Here's one of the things that Gamache says as a quote from the book. Because we can't separate our personal experiences from our professional choices, if we think we can, we're deluding ourselves. We have to admit it, examine our motives, then make a rational decision. There's a portion of the book where Gamache is reevaluating and rethinking some of the things that have gone on in his life, and I really loved, this was my favorite quote of the whole book. He says, that episode forced me to take a hard look at myself at whether I was really cut out for this, or if my fears would always get the better of me and endanger those around me. But I loved the work and believed in it, and I realized I couldn't be afraid and do what needed to be done. And so I worked on the fear. And I love that because in some ways I feel the same about being an entrepreneur. Not necessarily that that would endanger those around me, but do I really have what it takes for this role as CEO, as business owner? And I think if they're being honest, most entrepreneurs have the same experience. We all go through this curiosity phase of, am I really cut out for this? Am I going to be strong enough to weather the storms that will come? Is this really what I want to be doing And I love that he just says, you know, I recognized that I couldn't both be afraid and do what needed to be done, so I worked on the fear. That is what we all need to do or can do, have the opportunity to do, is to work on the fear, work on our mindset, work on strengthening our core, work on coming from the power and courage of our heart instead of getting stuck in the fears and the doubts and the insecurities and all the crap that is in our head. I always appreciate some just good little philosophy on life mixed in with a murder mystery or, you know, something that they are experiencing in their quaint little town in Canada called Three Pines, which if it were a real place, I would totally move there. (laughs) Because let me just tell you, for those of you that haven't read any of these books, they're great, first of all. They're super easy, very quick reads. Almost, almost sometimes a little bit on the cheesy side, which I don't generally care for, but these characters are so hilarious, so great. And Three Pines is where they live. It's a tiny village on the outskirts, the eastern province uh, outside of Montreal, 
very close to the border by Vermont. (laughs) And their whole life essentially revolves around whatever their work is. There's one lady who owns a bookstore, which sounds great to me. And there's a couple guys that run a bistro and a B&B. And then there's Gamash, of course, and his wife. He is the head of the police force. There's an old crazy woman who's a poet. There's an artist. So there's all kinds of different characters, but their whole life either revolves around solving a murder, (laughs) uh, doing their work, or going to the bistro and eating what sounds like awesome food or just having a drink. I'm like, this is such a great life. So for Glass Houses, I gave it four stars, generally a great story. And this was, I would say, one of the better ones. I, I usually go between three and four on her books. Another book I read is called The Big Leap, Conquer Your Hidden Fear and Take Life to the Next Level. This one is by Gay Hendricks, and Gay is a very, very well-known consultant coach in the world of personal and business development. He has been in this world for so, so long. One of the people that I first learned about when I was entering into the personal development sphere like two decades ago (laughs) was Gay Hendricks. So I'd heard a lot about this book, The Big Leap. Everybody's always referring to it because they talk a lot about the difference between what he calls the zone of excellence and the zone of genius. The difference being where you are in your zone of excellence are the things that you're really, really good at. People look to you to do these things, accomplish those things. You're really talented at that stuff. But you might not care about it that much. Or even if you like it, it doesn't fully light you up. It doesn't intrinsically motivate you. It doesn't inspire you to consistently grow and develop versus your zone of genius, which is much more like being in the flow. So yes, you're good at those things, but it's also the most natural and normal thing for you to do, even if it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but it is so a part of you that you could do it all day, every day, you know, whether or not you're getting paid. And it really just allows you to shine much more than just through your talents and skills. It's, it's adding in that, that flow state, that, that passion, that light, that excitement into what you're doing. So the premise, of course, is that we collectively should attempt to do more of those things. We should strive to be playing and working in our zone of genius more than our zone of excellence. So he talks about sometimes that leads to changing a job, whatever it might be for you. But we all need to first off understand what our zone of genius is. Like, what are we doing when we are in that zone? And then how can we bring more of that into our lives? Now, as I mentioned, the big leap, everybody talks about it all the time. You're probably expecting me to be like, oh, five stars for sure. I actually only gave it three. And here's why. One of the things that I struggled with in this book, while it absolutely is a great reminder, I felt like a lot of it was just a retelling of Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz, using different words, different terminology, but essentially talking about the same thing. 
in Psycho-Cybernetics, which I use as a textbook in my coaching academy. I have all my students read it because it's really about changing your self-image. And if you don't change who you are internally, you're never going to have those external results that you claim that you want. You have to actually shift that thermostat. And he uses the same analogies. It's all the same stuff. I know lots of different people have talked about these things in different ways or or actually very similar ways. But my theory is kind of like, mm, why don't you just go to the source? And while I'm sure there were people even prior to Maxwell Maltz, he was one of the ones that really broadcast this message out into the world back in the 1960s. So for that, I gave the big leap three stars. This next book is going to sound way more morose than it is, but it's called The Gentle Art of Swedish Death Cleaning, How to Free Yourself and Your Family from a Lifetime of Clutter. I happened to be talking about Swedish death cleaning with my mom. I had seen a video on YouTube of this woman who is an organizer, and she was talking about this Swedish death cleaning. And I was like, this is actually an amazing concept. It goes beyond Marie Kondo and does this spark joy. And really the question in Swedish death cleaning is, would anybody be happy if I kept this? So as most of you know, (laughs) we as humans tend to collect stuff. Stuff often turns into clutter. In worst case scenario, it is hoarding. But it's just this like inability or, or challenge with getting rid of stuff. I myself got rid of most of the things that I owned last year. And when I say most of the things I owned, I was I got rid of furniture, really all the big stuff in the house. But what was left were still box upon box upon box of old papers, old notebooks, old journals, documents that who knows how old they are, 15 years, 20 years, I don't even know. So I still had a bunch of stuff. And even though it could be kind of put in a box, you know, filed away, it it didn't feel good having all of that stuff still, because I knew it was there. I knew it was like clutter, even if it was in the closet. (laughs) So I am really, really interested in this whole Swedish death cleaning. The other concept is that You should take responsibility for your own stuff. Please do not leave it for your spouse, for your children, for whomever is going to be the one to come into your space and have to clean up after you die. And the thing is, we don't know when that's going to be. Any one of us could be in some sort of accident this week. And then our families or whoever is left with like, what do I do with all this stuff? So ask yourselves the question, would anybody be happier if I kept this? I had something of Sean's and I'm like, why am I even keeping this? I don't even want it, but I was keeping it out of this kind of sentimental, sad feeling. And my first response was, well, he would be happier if I had this. And I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) He doesn't even get a vote anymore. Like, he is not here. He 
what I think is, you know, on the other side, doesn't even need to worry about things like stuff and emotion, all the stuff that we have going on on this side. So why, like, why am I holding on to this? And sometimes that can be really sad. But as this girl on the video did, I'll actually post the YouTube video that I'm talking about on lucra.com under this podcast post so you can see it if you are interested. It's showcasing her response to asking her father if he wanted some of this this stuff, like Christmas decorations. Because of course the father was like, no, sweetheart, you can just get rid of that. I don't want it. But you know, thanks for asking. (laughs) And she, on the video, gets, she tears up. And what I love about that is it's an honest emotion. It's a a reality that it can be sad to let some of these things go, but by feeling it, allowing those emotions to come up, allowing the feeling, and then to also be able to bring in the logical, rational side and say, okay, yeah, it is sad, but that doesn't mean I need to hold on to it. And just allowing it to go. And then my thing is give it to somebody who actually does want it who will delight in it. So this book, The Gentle Art of Swedish Death Cleaning, it's written by this woman who says she is between 80 and 100. And she is talking about her various experiences of death cleaning. She has done it for her parents. She was doing it more recently for her husband that passed away. And one of the things that I did like about the book is she talks about that it's not necessarily an overnight thing. It's not necessarily going to take a couple days to just go through this stuff and be done, especially if you still live in the house where you lived with that person. It could be a year of just methodically going through things and decluttering. And so in my case, even though, yes, I did get rid of a ton of stuff last year, I have more recently gone back into some of these boxes that were just filled up last minute as I was moving last year and really started to process through that stuff. It feels good and sometimes it feels sad, but overall I'm very happy to be doing it. That being said, even though I really, really love the concept of this, the book, by the way, it was very, very short. So if you are interested in this, it's it's a good one to read quickly, but I gave it only three stars. Pretty good. Another book I read was called The Adventurer's Son. This is by Roman Dial. And this book had been on my to-read list for quite a long time. This is what it says right on the cover. In the pre-dawn hours of July 10th, 2014, the son of a legendary Alaskan explorer, Roman Dial, walked alone into the untracked rainforest of Costa Rica's remote Pacific coast. I'm planning on doing four days in the jungle, he wrote his father before leaving. It should be difficult to get lost forever. Then he vanished. So this book is a memoir about the experience that the father, Roman Dial, his son was also named Roman Dial, but the father, who is this well-known, sort of famous in the Alaskan wilderness race world and as a researcher, he's raised his son and his daughter to be adventurers, to be explorers. And then his son, in doing the very thing that he raised him to do, 
ends up disappearing in the Costa Rican jungle. And so the memoir traces and tracks all of the things that the father does to try to figure out what happened. Was there foul play? Was he murdered by the drug cartel or a tribe? Or did he have an accident? Or what happened to his son, who before that had a very close relationship with his father, with his whole family, He would keep in touch. He would always communicate with them on his out dates or when he was expecting to be done with an adventure, even if he was off the grid for a certain time. There was always this constant communication. And this was the first time that that doesn't happen. So the father ends up traveling down from Alaska to Costa Rica multiple times. And it's this crazy story. He ends up going very high up in the United States military to try to get help. All of these different things happen. And all of the red tape that he experiences because the authorities, a lot of the authorities in Costa Rica basically had the mentality of, "Mm, this is called your son just doesn't want to communicate with you. And he's gone off and smoked dope and he's doing his own thing now. Sorry, dad. But just the urgency and the, he just kept saying, I know my son. I know my son. And I I loved that, just his dedication to what he knew to be true, even amidst everybody telling him he's crazy, saying, you know, it's too timely, it's too costly, it's too dangerous, it's too all of these things. We cannot keep looking, we can't keep searching, but he never, ever gave up. Now from that, it might sound like I absolutely loved it, and I I loved parts of it, but again, in this book, I felt like there was a lot of overtelling. I didn't need all the billion details that were listed in the book. And maybe if you're really, really, really interested in ecology and the outdoors, maybe more of this would seem relevant to you. I'm fairly interested in the outdoors, which was why I wanted to read this book in the first place. I've read you know, John Krakauer and books like that. I've always enjoyed them, so this was kind of in that same genre, but because of just the the writing and kind of it, it went on and on, I gave it three stars. But it might appeal to some of you more than that. And finally, I read a book called Thank and Grow Rich, a 30-day experiment in shameless gratitude and unabashed joy. This book is by Pam Grout. She is fairly well-known as a writer with Hay House. I guess her most famous book was called E Squared, and she has a bunch of books that have followed that up. I really liked the concept of this book, and as Pam says in the book, she, she says, no offense to Napoleon Hill, which of course you may know is the author of Think and Grow Rich. The author of the self-help classic on which my title riffs, but the real power is not thinking. If you want to override your brain's unfortunate habit of leafing through your past and creating a present hologram to match, forget thinking and start thanking. Her approach, as she says later in the book, is that this book won't do a thing for your 401k, or help you secure the McMansion you posted about on your vision board. It's not about getting rich in the traditional sense. There's nothing wrong with financial capital, but let me be clear, it's incapable 
of bringing any measure of real happiness. Now, some of my friends that you have heard on this show in the past would disagree because they say if you think that money can't buy happiness, you haven't given enough away. And I think that money can, in some ways, make people a lot more comfortable And that can lead to less stress, which can lead to being more happy. So there is an indirect, if nothing else, correlation here that money does have something to do with this. But of course, I do appreciate that she is talking about gratitude and being thankful and really just looking at how gratitude in and of itself can change your life. And for those of you that came to my Heart Path retreat recently, you know that gratitude is one of the best feel-good emotions that we can generate for ourselves and others, which then goes directly out into the electromagnetic field produced by our heart. And for those of you that are like, whoa, we just went totally woo, It's actually straight up science. (laughs) I can show you all the experiments and the documentation in peer-reviewed journals. So again, I liked the concept, but I would say that I liked some of her earlier books better, and this one felt a, a little bit all over the place. I also listened to it, and let me just say this, the audio was not that great. While I I try not to let that influence my rating of the book itself, it certainly can to some extent. So those are the books that I read last month. As always, if you have read something amazing that you're like, Mindy, do not miss this book, let me know in the comments. You'll find this post at lucra.com. If you scroll the way to the bottom, you can just click on podcast You will find all the episodes there and you can leave your comments. Like I said, I would love to hear from you. Love to know what you think about some of these books, if you've read them or what you would recommend. Next week, I'll be back with an awesome interview. I'm really looking forward to sharing my next guest with you. She is a total badass. So until then, have an amazing week. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to subscribe to The Lucrative Society on iTunes, and please leave a review of the podcast. Visit lucra.com for transcripts and resources, or to become a member of The Lucrative Society, where I coach purpose-based entrepreneurs on business, mindset, and heartset. Lucra, where wealth equals well-being.